Welcome to In the Closet Objectivist. I am one of your hosts, Dr. Mayne Ribbons, and today we are talking about narcissism. And I, I'm doing this because I think, and I hope you'll agree, that um, objectivism has some really unique things to say about this particular personality disorder. But let's start with the housekeeping. You can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, which is another app, Stitcher. Of course, you can always follow us on Blog Talk and get updates automatically. And you can, of course, join our Facebook group. Um, we also have um, a Patreon thing. So um, if you want to kick us a few bucks to buy beer or you know, pay for our Blog Talk subscription, we will be very grateful to you. Um, so thank you in advance. Um, and that's about all the housekeeping I can stand at any one time, so <laughs> that's all I'm going to do. Um, so I want to make a number of prefatory notes before we officially begin the discussion of narcissism. The first is that this is far and away the most upsetting podcast I've ever done. Um, you're about to hear a lot of painful personal things for me. Now, in general, In the Closet Objectivist is a podcast about positive values, and there will be a positive note at the end, but frankly, it's going to be a rocky ride. So if it's too dark for you or too personal, um, I'm the last person to blame you for bailing. Um, the second prefatory note is that um, if you find a similarity between the behaviors I describe and maybe some of your own, that's actually probably a good thing. For one thing, it indicates self-awareness, and, and as you'll see, um, one of the insidious aspects of this um, personality disorders is a real lack of self-awareness, and I'll give examples to kind of concretize that. Um, Narcissism is often described as a spectrum, so, you know, we all have times, particularly after traumatic events, um, where we're, we're not able to reciprocate as much as we'd like. You know, we lean on our loved ones more than they're leaning on us. Um, so I'm going to try to make it clear where that behavior becomes pathological. Um, the third thing I want to mention is um, you'll notice that I don't use gender pronouns in this podcast. That is deliberate. People tend to think of narcissists as male, but 40% of people with narcissistic personality disorder, hereafter abbreviated NPD, are female. Um, the fourth thing, and I, I can't stress this enough, I am not a psychologist. Indeed, most of my adult life, I tried to avoid the field of psychology. I kind of thought it was the study of how thinking goes wrong, and that seemed to be a kind of negative focus. So um, I, um, I, I really didn't make an effort to understand psychology, and I, I wish I would have. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is that... Um, even if I were a psychologist, it would be unprofessional for me to diagnose public figures with whom I've never been in the same room. Um, 
to be frank, I, I don't have much of an opinion of Trump either way because I spend very little time on politics in general. I have no, I, I really have very few feelings about him. Um, I'm going to use a lot of examples um, that reference Trump's behavior because I find this integration really valuable in identifying controlling and destructive behaviors. Um, and it's hopefully going to be helpful for me in protecting myself against the more alluring aspects of MPD. So here's your, I, I want to, you know, with, with those, with that preface out of the way, I, I want to motivate you to keep listening. Um, cause like I said, it's going to be a rough ride. Um, Objectivists often use the term narcissism to describe someone that others will typically call egoistic. You know, someone who brags a lot in order to get the admiration of others, rather than valuing their own accomplishments for their own sake. Um, such a person is, is, I mean, if they're doing it for, you know, the attention that others give them, that's, that's virulently second-handed. Um, so, for example, objectivists will point to Trump's self-aggrandizement, you know, consider the following quote, quote, I will give you everything. I will give you what you've been looking for for 50 years. I am the only one, end quote. Um, and, and objectivists will describe this as narcissistic. They're probably not wrong, but I find the use of the term narcissism, even from objectivists, is sometimes a bit loose and, and dangerously so, for the following reason. Um, when I was 19, I went through a violent trauma. So it's probably no surprise that almost immediately after, I got into a long-term relationship with someone I much later learned was an overt narcissist. Um, this is what you typically think of when you think of a narcissist. Um, someone who is very loud at proclaiming how much better they were than everyone else, um, but who you could tell was, was damaged deep down. And, you know, at the time, that was what I wanted. Um, it was so much easier to try to fix someone else's uncomfortable emotions than to deal with my own. Um, and what I noticed over time was that, and I'll, I'll call this person overt from here on out, um, was that while overt had a lot of real-world accomplishments, for example, a PhD in chemistry from UCLA, um, those accomplishments never brought overt any kind of satisfaction. Overt cared about whether others were paying attention to overt. It didn't matter if the attention was even positive or negative as long as people were talking about overt. And that, and, and keep in mind that as I was realizing this, I was discovering objectivism. Um, and it's, and this sort of, you know, not caring about one's own accomplishment for their own sake, but rather what people said about it, or the fact that people were saying something about it, that struck me as soulless as someone who could never generate their own happiness, but rather needed to parasitize it from others. Um, I'll, say, I'll say a little bit about how traumatic this was, but um, 
the point is I, I thought I knew how to identify narcissism, that I was safe. Um, it turns out later that I, I knew something about how to detect an overt narcissist, but I was unaware of and much later ensnared by a covert narcissist. Um, so narcissism, while it often includes people who um, are very self-aggrandizing and um, very loud about how much better they are than everyone else and how special they are, um, there are other forms of narcissism that are more subtle but just as destructive. That's why I, I think it's helpful to clarify what narcissism is. So um, my, my purpose, as I said at the beginning, is that I, I want to share a little of what I've learned about narcissism because I think subjectivism has some uniquely insightful things to say about narcissism. Um, I'm going to use examples from my own experience with overt and covert narcissists, and I'm going to refer to them that way. Um, I'm also going to use a few examples of President Trump's behavior to concretize things that typify narcissism, but these examples are not meant to support a diagnosis. They are merely meant to be illustrative. Um, okay, I think I've, I think I've laid out enough disclaimers for one podcast. So, um, as I said, long ago I, I had this idea that narcissism involved a monomaniacal focus on attention from others rather than the development of one's independent soul. Um, a therapist recommended the book The Wizard of Oz and Other Narcissists, and I found its description of narcissism really clarifying. So, Around age five, most people become aware of the fact that the rest of the world is separate from ourselves. In other words, we begin to develop an ego. But what if you don't? Narcissists regard their true selves as shameful or even non-existent. Um, thus, reality becomes an extension of the narcissist like an arm or a leg. Um, so if I can inject my own interpretation, while most people see a clear distinction between ego and the rest of reality, there is me and there is everything else, narcissists don't. In effect, I don't perceive a me, but I perceive everything, therefore everything is me. Um, there can be several reasons why the development of an ego doesn't happen. Um, in a lot of cases, the uh, MBT person at a very early age feels insecure attachment to, discarded by, or unreal to a parent or a guardian. Um, there's also shown to be a genetic component to NPD. Um, I was also really surprised to discover how common the full-blown personality disorder is. It's estimated that between one and six percent of the population has um, the full-blown disorder, which means that like roughly one in twenty people that you know um, are are um, have have a are are disordered, um, and this estimate is probably low. Um, Due to the nature of the pathology, and, and I'll flesh this out a little more as we go along, um, NPDs almost never acknowledge their behavior as hurtful and therefore rarely seek 
counseling. I mean, their hurtful behavior is always someone else's problem. And, and indeed, there's a real, there tends to be a real blind side that they can't, you know, they, they can't, they're not very self-aware. Something I've no right to criticize anybody about because I'm not very self-aware. Um, but they, they don't realize that what they're doing is hurtful. All, all they realize is that, um, friends leave and with attention is withdrawn. And again, I'll, I'll flesh this out, um, in just a moment. So, I mean, it's just, I, I just thought that was such an interesting description that, that, here is a personality disorder where people don't have a sense of self. Um, so what does this mean? Um, well, first of all, no one can exist that way. No one can exist convinced that they're not real. Um, so narcissists invent a grandiose false self. Um, one that is the most special, the most deserving of attention, praise, money, power, status, emotional support, what is, you know, termed under the general heading narcissistic supply. Narcissists need to feel real. Um, so one of the things they commonly do is they spend a lot of time in front of the mirror. For example, Covert has about a bajillion pictures of Covert self. Um, pictures are also reassuring to narcissists because they lack empathy. It's, it's very hard to acknowledge someone else's valid emotions if you regard a person as an extension of yourself. So um, if they're depicted with people who are smiling for the camera, the narcissist tends to interpret that to mean that others, the MPD's source of narcissistic supply, are pleased with the MPD, even though that's often not even close. Um, so everything the MPD does is serves a single purpose, to feel real, um, which means to cultivate their narcissistic supply of attention, um, money, power, status, support, etc. If an MPD person judges someone as neither a threat to nor a supply of narcissistic or nor a source of narcissistic supply, that person is either dismissed or not acknowledged at all. And it, that sounds really strange, but I've seen it happen. Um, so, for example, I dated Overt for years, and Overt never asked my parents a single question about themselves. Um, Covert treated my parents like Covert servants when Covert was a guest at their house. Um, Covert wandered down to the kitchen at 11 a.m. one day, and uh, my dad, who'd been up since probably 6 a.m., he's he's such a morning person, um, and my dad is so sweet, you know, just so giving and kind, and of course, offered to make Covert breakfast. All Covert said was, I like my eggs dry. That's it. Not a word of thanks. Um... You know, my dad might as well have been a robot in Covert's eyes. Um, and Covert, you know, during this visit completely ignored my other family's guests. Um, so as an example, um, this was while I, you know, Gracie had just been born. Um, so I was upstairs nursing and um, Covert came by and, and told me that my cousin, who I see, you know, once or twice a year, was leaving for Colorado, um, 
I went downstairs to wish my cousin farewell, you know, I, imagining that Covert was going to come with me, that didn't happen. Um, in fact, after just having gone through the painful process of pushing a person through my pelvic floor, I had to climb the stairs yet again to beg Covert to take pictures of my family. And even then, Covert couldn't be bothered to say nice to meet you to my cousin. Um, so, <sighs> you're probably... I, I'm, I'm not painting a very flattering picture of narcissism. And, and you know, you, you see narcissists portrayed in movies, for example, and they're, they're not even characters, right? They're more like caricatures. Um, you know, it's like the, you know, in a rom-com, it's like the evil boyfriend or girlfriend who, you know, is just treats the love interest like crap. And, and you wonder like, what, what's a love interest ever saw in this person? Um, and there's a sense in which, you know, the, the examples I'm gonna give you like truth really is stranger than fiction like if I had read this in a novel I I would have thrown it away as being totally unbelievable but these things actually happened um so you're probably asking yourself what these people sound like really not appealing at all how how do they ever get their narcissistic supply in the first place and um although for the large part NPDs, again, are not very self-aware. Um, they, they have devised, probably subconsciously, um, these manipulation techniques. Um, and usually it involves what's called the overvaluation, devaluation, discard cycle. So the first step to gaining a new supply of attention for the NPDs to convince you that they are special. Um, NPDs tend to have a lot of a lot of confidence and it's hard not to be curious about how they earned that confidence. As an example, Trump um, has often remarked on his innate intelligence, even bragging on Twitter, quote, Sorry, losers and haters, but my IQ is one of the highest and you all know it. Please don't feel stupid or insecure. It's not your fault. Unquote. Um, and it's when I read that, it just made me laugh because Covert couldn't shut up about how Covert's IQ was 139. Um, it's You're going to see a lot of examples where it's startling how two completely different people who've never met show a lot of really specifically similar behaviors. So buckle up. Um, okay, so first step, convince others that you're special. And narcissists tend to be very charming and charismatic. Um, not all are as um, vocal and aggressive as overt narcissists as you know, or Trump, you know, is, is very, very loud, um, you know, has, has got a very big presence. Um, some, the covert or vulnerable narcissists tend to have a more subtle confidence, um, but will have special problems that they are very eager to air in order to immediately create a sense of intimacy. As an example, um, within a day of meeting covert, covert was divulging 
their long-term depression and how they were on the verge of breaking up with their significant other. I, I pitied covert. I, I wanted to co- to fix covert's uncomfortable feelings, and that is how covert manipulates covert's victims. Um, so after convincing you that they're confident or special or have special vulnerabilities um, that you need to fix, the next part of over-evaluation is to make you feel special too, either by, you know, confiding in you because you're especially trustworthy or showering you with attention. Um, it's, you can get a real high off of, um, off of this overvaluation phase. You know, once they've convinced you that they're special and have eroded your boundaries with false intimacy, you feel special to be paid such flattering attention by a special person. After they've ensnared you, MPDs will manipulate you in a variety of ways to make sure you're giving them all the narcissistic supply to which they feel entitled. Um, as far as I gleaned, they're largely unaware of their manipulation. It's hard to be self-aware when you have no self. Um, but they have a lot of means of punishing the codependent partner every time the partner attempts to regain a boundary or assert their own needs. So what are some of these manipulation and punishing behaviors? And one of them is called gaslighting. So if you've ever felt like you need to record every word you say with a particular person, that person is probably gaslighting. It's a form of manipulation where the NPD asserts with absolute certainty something that is false, forcing you to question your own sanity. Um, as an example, uh, Megyn Kelly said to Trump, quote, you've called women you don't like fat pigs, dogs, and disgusting animals, unquote. Trump said on Meet the Press the next day, quote, well, some of the things she said, I didn't say, okay, unquote. But he used all of those words to describe people like Rosie O'Donnell, Gail Collins, Ariana Huffington, and Bette Midler. Um, so, <laughs> overt actually contradicted Overt's own statements. So when I was having a rough go of graduate school, as most graduate school students do, Overt said essentially, quit and find a new lab. It's not a big deal. Then about a year later, I was seriously considering quitting graduate school. At this point, Overt said, well, if you quit and find a new lab, all the years you invested in this program um, will have been wasted. Um, and then about a year later, I was talking about my work, and Overt said essentially, um, uh, why don't you just quit? I'm sure if you join another program, not all of your years here would be wasted. So twice, Overt had done a 180, ending up right back where Overt started. Um, and this is the point where I actually said, I feel like I should always have I should always record our conversations. Um, it, it was unreal. Um, so, um, as another example, uh, a few days after we broke up, I confronted Covert about dumping me for my looks, um, and Covert flatly denied it. I thought, I, I'm not a ventriloquist, so 
I wasn't the one who said, I like girls with good hair. That's a direct quote. Um, a few days later, I asked Covert why I was dumped, if not for my looks, and Covert affirmed that it was indeed because of my looks. Um, I'll have more say that about that later. Um, so, much later, Covert quoted an article that said, Looks are something, but they aren't everything. Clearly, Covert was trying to advance the idea that Covert was not superficial. I commented on the post with my takeaway from the article that was that, you know, don't sweat someone who dumps you because they prefer girls with good hair. Um, Covert deleted the comment saying that it was, quote, irrelevant as best, unquote. Although I later realized that um, by revealing Covert's true self, I was undermining the grandiose, sensitive, false self and threatening the narcissistic supply Covert was attempting to cultivate. The next day, Covert posted something about how fellow sensitive people will understand, clearly advancing the notion that Covert was a sensitive person. Um, I... Now, keep in mind, and I'll have more to say about this later, this is the same person who pushed their pregnant girlfriend um, and made a joke about it. And so I sort of thought that a joke about hurting your significant other enough to cause them a miscarriage disqualifies you from being a sensitive person. Ever. I made a comment to that effect in Covert's post, after which Covert deleted my compliment blocked me on Facebook, and then emailed me saying, quote, you never expressed being bothered by it when we were together. Unquote. That's just not true. Covert said that, when Covert said that, I was shocked in his silence. The silence was so pronounced that Covert commented on it, at which point I said, I am just so shocked. Um... I wish I'd driven away and never spoken to the abuse vessel. Um, I, I certainly wish I'd had the time, but the point I'm trying to make is that um, narcissists are so ashamed at their lack of a true ego, they have to reinvent the narrative no matter how little it resembles reality. And they become such good spin doctors that not only do they convince others that 2 plus 2 is 5, they make us feel... Um, out of touch with reality, um, and, and, and they, I, th I think they convince themselves, I, th I think they genuinely believe their own press. Um, so another sort of controlling behavior is the double message, double bind. Um, now this quote comes from highexistence.com, quote, Charlie Huppert, um, I don't know who that is, cites the example of Trump taunting Jeb Bush about having low energy during one of the GOP debates. Trump says, quote, I know you're trying to build up your energy, Jeb, but it's not working, unquote. In the face of such a statement, Jeb Bush has two options, try to ratchet his energy up or to keep it where it is, slash take it down a notch. If he chooses the former, he appears to be reacting to Trump making Trump look like he's in control. If he chooses the latter, he remains low energy and Trump can just steamroll him through the, throughout the debate. It's a lose-lose situation for Jeb Bush. 
And this is the power of a double bind, unquote. Um, so as another, so the, the idea here is that you're, you're given one message, but when you try to follow through with that message, you're told the exact opposite. So, Covert often complains about breaking their diet, e.g., quote, I just love consuming all my day's calories by 3 p.m., unquote. When I was pregnant, I kept track of over two dozen nutrients every day. Um, not many people know their daily consumption of thiamine, for example. And I did this in order to ensure that my baby was getting her best chance. Covert knew this, um, when one day I had a particularly heinous bout of morning sickness and broke down and had a mocha. I told Colvert how bad I felt for consuming so much sugar and caffeine, expecting some empathy. Again, Covert complains about their own impulse control issues every other day. Instead, Covert not only made fun of me to my face, they made fun of me to their friends. Covert never gave me any moral credit for trying so hard to do right by my daughter or any sympathy for how hard it is to stick to a diet. So on one hand, Covert is signaling that it's okay to announce one's lack of impulse control on Facebook, but when I tell Covert about a decision I regret, I am publicly demeaned. Here is another example. Covert often goes a week without showering and will only spend as much time on Covert's hair as it takes to dry shampoo. Yet, when Covert broke up with me, Covert said, among other criticisms of my appearance, that Covert, quote, likes girls with good hair, unquote. Covert even admitted that Covert was being, quote-unquote, hypocritical by expecting Covert's girlfriend to spend a lot of time on her hair and Covert spends none on their own, yet Covert thought it appropriate to tell me more than once to get bangs. Uh, a friend of mine told me how they dated a narcissist, and when they broke up, the NPD said that one of my friend's eyes was bigger than the other. When my friend told me this, I said, first of all, no. Secondly, the size of your eyes doesn't change. If it was a if it's a deal-breaker now, why wasn't it a deal-breaker at the beginning? It illustrates that although NPDs tend to be superficial, looks aren't the point. Looks are simply an easy thing to attack because most people have some appearance insecurity. Also, when one person finds what one person finds attractive can vary considerably from another person. It's not to say that looks are subjective, but they are very difficult to defend, and that vulnerability is what MPDs leverage. Furthermore, it's totally inappropriate for someone to tell you that you're not pretty enough, especially someone with whom you are in a romantic relationship. If they started dating you, it should be because they are attracted to you as you are, not because you are some sort of project. Um... So, uh, another, another means of controlling is repeated criticism. The idea is that if you hear the same criticism or name-calling, 
no matter how secure you are as a person or how outrageous the remark, you eventually question whether or not it's true. For example, according to the New York Times, Trump called Marco Rubio a quote-unquote lightweight on 21 separate occasions. Um, similarly, I dated Covert when I was pregnant. Um, more than once I tried to have an emotionally intimate conversation with Covert, and every time Covert took those opportunities to call me fat. Now, at this point, you're probably wondering to yourself, and I now I have, um, why not just leave? I mean, this is objectively pretty awful treatment. Why do people stay in these emotionally abusive relationships? And part of it, um, I, it was, has to do with a phenomenon I found really, really interesting. It's called intermittent reinforcement. So in rats, um, if you, you know, for example, they'll, they'll have them depress a lever, um, and they'll get a reward. And if they get the reward every time, they get bored of the behavior pretty quickly. But if the reward is given somewhat randomly, rats will do it and they'll keep doing it. I mean, it's, it takes them a long time, if ever, to get bored with the reward. Um, indeed, if you make the random reward um, less and less frequent, many rats will eventually starve to death pressing that stupid lever. Um, in humans, casinos capitalize on this all the time. You know, if you sit at a slot machine long enough, you're going to lose all of your money, and everyone knows that. And yet, there are people who just can't, you know, they, they get that occasional, you know, jolt of pleasure from a little payout um, and can't seem to pull themselves away from the one-armed bandit. Um, the same happens with narcissists. Um, they mostly treat you pretty badly, especially in the devaluation phase, um, with occasional little rewards, you know, to kind of keep you hooked. You know, they'll, they'll behave like they did in the, in the overvaluation phase where you felt wonderful and special, um, and you think to yourself, wow, things are getting good again. There's, there's going to be reciprocity finally. Um, and, and it, that in part makes it really, really hard to walk away. Um, but also keep in mind the context, right? Everything I've been describing involves, um, a, a real undermining of your sense of reality. I mean, you're constantly questioning your sanity, um, so every time they say something awful, you tend to think, well, maybe they were just joking, or, you know, maybe it's me, maybe I'm just not, maybe I just don't have a good sense of humor, um, you know, and they're also completely eroding your sense of self-esteem, so, you know, it's, it's hard to ask for help when you don't feel worthy, and you know, when you, when your self-esteem is that eroded, you certainly don't feel worthy. Um, 
Notice something else here. All, all of these behaviors are really dehumanizing, right? They, they marginalize your feelings. The only ones that matter are theirs. Um, they, you know, I mean, they, you know, like I said, erode your sense of sanity and your sense of self. Um, and so in a sense, they're making you feel the way they feel like you're not real. The only way you exist is as, you know, the cheerleader to the narcissist. Um, and you know, according to the Wizard of Oddness and Other Narcissists, a book I cannot recommend enough. Um, codependents who are traumatized from narcissistic relationships um, can have narcissistic issues of their own. Um, as far as I know, it doesn't become full blown the full blown personality disorder, but I don't I don't know that. Um, and truthfully, that is what haunts me the most about being in these emotionally abusive relationships is that for a long time I was really angry. I wasn't a great friend. Um, goodness knows I tried, but I was not a good partner. Um, and I, I hate the fact that I exhibit a lot of the behaviors that were so hurtful to me. Um, oh, yeah, um, so moving on. So, okay, we've discussed in, in detail the, um, the devaluation stage. So the final stage of this cycle is the discard stage. Um, and the reason this happens, and it always does, is because no one can ever give another person a sense of self. So the narcissistic supply a codependent offers is never good enough. Um, Ellen Kenner had a series of really great lectures called Psychological Self-Defense. And hat tip to listener Brian for, um, for turning me on to these lectures. They've been so helpful. Um, and so Dr. Kenner talks a lot about the envious person um, who needs attention from others, but when they receive the attention, it is a reminder of what the NPD cannot themselves generate. Empathy is a function of an ego. It is you saying, I like me, other people are similar to me, therefore I tend to like others. But an ego is precisely what an NPD doesn't have. Um, and every time they get a hit of empathy, and I think it is fair to analogize to um, an addict or, and a substance abuser, um, so every time they get a hit, they're reminded of what they need and, an un and are unable to provide for themselves. They load their supplies as much as they need them. Um, so... The over-evaluation or the over-evaluation, devaluation, discard cycle usually occurs more than once. I mean, with the same codependent. Um, the, the NPD will discard the supply and then hoover, like a vacuum, um, the supply back 
if they can't get in, if they can't immediately find another supply, they, and this again is where they are, they are addicts, they are addicts for attention, and once they throw away one supply, if they can't get another one pretty much immediately, you know, the, the logic is better an inferior supply than no supply at all. So as an example, um, Culver told me that they'd done this over and over again, dumped their significant other, got back together, then dumped them again. Now, let's zoom out a little bit and grant Covert an enormous benefit of the doubt. We'll assume that Covert and Covert's exes were completely rational. They were both working towards rationally chosen but mutually exclusive goals. For, for example, perhaps one had a career that involved a lot of travel and the other had rehearsals for local performances. The first wanted the second to travel together, the second wanted the first to attend the local shows. Um, it would be irrational for either of them to give up their most cherished values, so the only resolution would be for them to dissolve the relationship. Now, if all of the above is the case, there is no rational explanation for breaking up and then backsliding, yet Covert does this over and over again. Indeed, Covert tried to do it with me. A couple weeks after dumping me, Covert told me that Covert still loved me. Um, I said, paraphrasing, you know, dumping me is a huge violation of trust. I have no idea what it would take to repair that trust. What kind of effort are you willing to make in order to do so? The answer essentially was no effort. Um, like any other addict, NPDs are only willing to put in the minimum investment of energy necessary to get their supply. It's not about reciprocity. There is none. Um, it's about a quick fix. An NPD may seem to have, may even seem to have long-term important relationships. I mean, both overt and covert occasionally saw friends they'd known since childhood, but these relationships are superficial and always involve minuscule effort on, on the NPD's part. So what I've, I've spent a lot of time trying to establish that, you know, um, people with narcissistic personality disorder um, have very little or no sense of self, and this has some very real consequences. But what is it, you know, I've tried to illustrate what it looks like to not have an ego. What are, What is the result of all this behavior, all this attempt to gain a sense of self? Um, well, one result is a lack of empathy or a lack of reciprocity. It is never going to be your turn. Um, and that may not be immediately obvious. So, you know, I mean, the, the longer and closer you're in a relationship with a narcissist, the more time you'll spend thinking, okay, eventually it's going to, you know, um, the scales are going to balance out. Um, and usually the, the painful realization comes when like a big event happens for you, something, you know, a, a really windfall event or a, or a tragic event where, where you need support or deserve some sort of congratulation and you're probably just going to get your NPD pouting that, you know, 
you're expecting something from them rather than giving them the attention. This, you know, the spotlight is not on them. Um, you know, and, and so an example of a lack of reciprocity, you know, I, I mentioned how on my first date with Overt, Overt acknowledged that Overt answered none of my questions with a question about me. It was all about Overt. Um, we, so Covert and I dated for months, and Covert has no idea what my dissertation is about and has never once asked me about my patent. Um, seems like the kind of thing you'd, you'd want to know about someone you were dating. Um, as I mentioned, um, NPDs have a very addictive personality. Um, you know, the narcissist is an addict, and his narcissistic or her narcissistic supply is attention, support, admiration. That's their drug of choice. Um, it, so it's probably not surprising that narcissism is often comorbid with addictive and impulsive behaviors such as bulimia. So in Covert's case, um, Covert frequently breaks their breaks and whines about breaking Covert's diet, you know, while eating an entire large pizza in a single sitting, or, you know, Covert would frequently tell me about how they would drink, you know, a 750 of port in a single evening. Um, with regard to Trump, in, in November, Fox News showed college students burning the American flag. A half hour later, Trump tweets, quote, nobody should be allowed to burn the American flag. If they do, there must be consequences, perhaps loss of citizenship or a year in jail. Now, that's not the function of the executive branch. The, the job of the president is not to make laws and it is, it is merely to decide whether the laws advanced by um, the Senate and Congress are, um, you know, uphold the Constitution. And that's it. I mean, this is overstepping boundaries um, and certainly not something that should be hip-fired a half an hour after seeing Fox News. Um, it's also thought that ADHD, which covert has, incidentally, um, is more prevalent in narcissists than the general population. I mean, these people are exhausting. Um, quoting from The Wizard of Oz and other narcissists, quote, in fact, therapists with expertise in this arena know that it is unwise to treat more than two or three MPD individuals at one time because of the enormous amount of energy and attention they require, unquote. Um, when I read this, I... I had to laugh because I remember Covert talking about how during Covert's therapy sessions, Covert would always put Covert's therapist to sleep. <laughs> I mean, I now get it. Um, MPDs are entitled. Um, when you believe the world is merely an extension of you, like your limb, you expect the world to behave according to your wishes. Um, as an example, more than once Covert used the word angry to describe Covert's feelings about the Christmas gifts um, Covert's mother had given Covert um, because she hadn't seen Covert's email about Covert's wish list. Um, Covert acted as if Covert was the only person in the history of the universe who had ever received a well-intentioned gift that missed the mark. 
1993, Trump tried to use eminent domain to get Vera Koking's, um, I hope that's how you pronounce her name, New Jersey home, the one that the then 65-year-old had owned for 32 years. I mean, he's trying to get it condemned so that he could build a parking lot over it. And um, this is not, you know, I mean, it's amazing that someone could could try to get a city to bully an old lady out of her house, but Trump is very unapologetic about this. In the Republican presidential debate, Trump said that, quote, eminent domain is an absolute necessity. It's necessary to use government force to usurp other people's property. Um, I think it's fair to call that entitled. Um, so, um, what else? Um, your agreement versus disagreement, you're, you're nervous about expressing an opinion different from the NPDs. Everything you're about to say is first shoved through the filter of, will the NPD approve of this? Um, an NPD is unlikely to say, I'm glad we agree about such and such. And they will never say, I like that we have different views on this issue, and I find your perspective refreshing. Um, this makes sense, right? I mean, if you consider, again, if you consider the world an extension of yourself, and somebody agree, you know, has feelings similar to yours, say, let's say the MPD is feeling down, and a close friend is also feeling down. Well, that's not... That's kind of like telling your arm to rise, and it does. Like That's not noteworthy to the MPD. Um, so you're, you're not going to get a, a lot of acknowledgement if you agree. But you're definitely going to get punished if you disagree. And again, that makes sense from this perspective. Um, you know, if, if you disagree with an MPD, for them it's like they told their arm to, to rise, and it didn't. It's very disturbing um, and probably explains a lot of why they're so manipulative. Um, so as an example, um, I met Covert when I was five months pregnant via a sperm donor. Indeed, I think that was probably the first thing I ever said to Covert was to say that I was pregnant. Um, so it, I made it pretty clear that family was important to me. Um, Covert doesn't want kids, and I know this not because Covert said, I like you, Meg, but we want different things. Rather, over the course of the relationship, Covert dismissed me by saying things like, kids ruin everything, um, and posting passive-aggressive Facebook jokes about how awful kids are. Um, of course, Covert went from passive-aggressive to plain-aggressive when we were standing at the top of the stairs, and Covert pushed me hard enough to rock me onto one foot, keep in mind I'm eight months pregnant and not real well balanced at this point, um, physically balanced, um, and said, quote, I should have done that a few months ago, unquote, yeah. Covert was, thought that hurting me hard enough to cause a miscarriage was funny, worthy of humor. Um, so another thing that it means to not have an ego is 
you know, with regards, there, there are always strings attached. So, for example, MPDs regard money as another extension of the cells. It's not that they can't be generous, but an act of, you know, scarecrows, generosity will later become a kind of a blackmail. So, for example, early in our acquaintance, Covert claimed to have an inappropriate sense of humor and asked me if there was any kind of joke I didn't like. I told Covert that I don't like rape jokes. I don't think they're funny. Um... I think they're just upsetting. Uh, so later, when I confronted Covert privately about the miscarriage joke I just referenced, um, Covert said, quote, I'm sorry you took it personally, unquote. Later, Covert said, we did, quote, we'd established pretty early on that inappropriate humor was something we both appreciated, unquote. So because I sp- hadn't specifically said that I didn't like jokes about miscarriage, Culver was trying to say that I had tacitly endorsed other forms of violent humor and had no right to be upset with Culver's remarks. Um, one of the other hallmarks of MPD is that um, narcissists are noted for being very negative, um, unless possibly in the overvaluation stage. Um, You know, sarcasm is narcissist's specialty, and depression, which Covert has had for over two decades, is largely comorbid with narcissism. Um, you know, so for example, I, I dated Covert for several months and can't recall a single nice thing Covert said about any of Covert's friends. Indeed, the things Covert said about Covert's own friends were largely awful, and I wish I'd run the other way when I realized that. In hindsight, it's not surprising. Covert has no sense of self and so creates a grandiose false self, which no one, not even Covert, can live up to. So everyone is a disappointment to the MPD. Um, You know, despite the fact that Covert has lived in the same small town for the better part of two decades, I was surprised to discover that Covert never saw any friends regularly. Um, It turns out that MPDs are so voracious in their need for attention that they use up friends and burn them out. So they constantly have to cultivate new supplies of attention. That gets harder as they get older because they have less energy to put on the whole over-evaluation show and, and, you know... It's, it gets hard to maintain the grandiose false self um, with what's called the, the growing reality gap, right? The, the difference between the, the grandiose false self you, you present um, between one's actual real-world accomplishments keeps getting you know, becomes more those two things become more and more distant um, and so it's easier for people to kind of pick up on how disingenuous these people are. So, you know, not only are they using people up and burning them out, but, you know, their attempts to gain new admirers and new supplies of attention are harder um, and ever more necessary. So... Um, another 
another thing that results from this lack of ego is a lack of empathy, as, as I kind of mentioned earlier. Um, you know, because, again, this has to do with, the, you know, if you regard the world as an appendage, you're largely incapable of empathy. Um, whew, so... Um, so when Covert dumped me two weeks after Gracie was born, Covert said that it was because there was no physical chemistry, and I sort of alluded to this earlier, but um, I, at this point I pointed out that I try really hard um, in every aspect of the relationship. For example, I spent an entire afternoon pleasuring Covert, after which time Covert spent a couple of minutes getting me frustrated before I went to pick up Covert's friends to see Covert's play. Meanwhile, Covert um, withheld cunnilingus for months. Um, so at this point, I asked Covert what I was lacking to have quote-unquote physical chemistry, at, w at which point Covert gave me a 15-minute dissertation about why my makeup, my clothes, and my hair were unacceptable. Um, so, in, in case you're thinking it's just me, um, Dr. Sam Bachnin, a diagnosed narcissist, has a lot to say on the subject. Quote, there are fundamental conflicts between dependence and contempt, neediness and devaluation, seeking and avoiding, turning on the charm to attract adulation, and being engulfed by wrathful reactions to the most minuscule provocations. These conflicts lead to rapid cycling between gregariousness and self-imposed ascetic seclusion. Such an unpredictable but always bilious and festering atmosphere is hardly conducive to love or sex. Gradually, both become extinct. My relationships are hollowed out. Imperceptibly, I switch to asexual cohabitation, but the vitriolic environment that I create is only one hand of the equation. The other hand is the woman herself. I am heterosexual, so I am attracted to women, but I am simultaneously repelled, horrified, bewitched, and provoked by them. I seek to frustrate and humiliate them. Psychodynamically, I am probably visiting upon them my mother's sins, um, but I think such an instant explanation does the subject great injustice, unquote. Um, so I, I, I gather from this that in general, narcissists don't actually enjoy sex, and, and how could they? Quoting I ran from Of Living Death in the Voice of Reason, quote, Sex is a physical capacity, but its exercise is determined by man's mind, by his choice of values, held consciously or subconsciously. To a rational man, sex is an expression of self-esteem, a celebration of himself and of existence. To the man who lacks self-esteem, sex is an attempt to fake it, to acquire its momentary illusion." Unquote. The last thing I'll note about what it means to not have a sense of self is um, not something I've really read about, just something I've observed um, that I found really interesting. And that's the claiming of ideas. Um, so I had written the first scene of a unique pro-catalyst story um, with a really unusual premise. Um, and I shared that first scene privately with Covert. Covert later posted on Facebook, 
Facebook about Covert's plans to write a story using that very idea. Covert took my idea and tried to pass it off as their own. I mean, in my mind, this makes sense. Creativity is the function of an ego, of an independent mind. My guess is that Covert took my and probably others' ideas and passed them off as Covert's own because Covert can't create much. And Covert doesn't have an ego and therefore doesn't have the source of creativity. Um, So... want to kind of indicate what life with a narcissist really means. Um, Perhaps the most painful part of a relationship with a narcissist is that narcissists are often charming and confident in public, the the grandiose false self, um, and only display episodes of rage and a lack of reciprocity to those closest to them. It means that there's no outside validation for the person who's being abused by the MPD. Indeed, MPDs get away with saying outrageous things because they erode one's sense of reality. Um, As an example, Overt said that Bill Clinton couldn't have won the presidency if women weren't allowed to vote. Um, If you confront an MPD about outrageous things they say, they, they'll gaslight and demand to know why you can't take a joke. Um, but more than that, I, I couldn't imagine how anyone in the 21st century could think that women's suffrage was a bad thing. I mean, there's, yeah, Covert was, or excuse me, Overt was saying something really outrageous, but um, I, I couldn't make myself believe that Overt believed it. Overt did. Um, Covert twice joked about dating Gracie when Gracie turned 18. Both times I said, gross. But I wasn't as forceful as I should have been because it was hard to treat such outrageous remarks as anything but outrageous. And had to to listener Chad for formulating it in this way for me. Um, Of course, a few months later, this near 40-year-old with staggeringly few life accomplishments, actually started dating a teenager, just like James Taggart, and for the exact same reasons. Um, I might have mentioned this on an earlier podcast. Um, Brain development continues up until about age 25, and for most people, um, age 19 is about the time when one is really learning and establishing relationship boundaries. So it's no accident that um, I got caught in Overt's web when I was 19 and that Covert got into a relationship with a teenager half their age and that James Taggart um, predated Cheryl Brooks when Cheryl was 19. These are not accidents. Um, their, their victims, um, including myself, um, you know, when they're just learning what boundaries are, these, these narcissists swoop in and obliterate nascent boundaries. And, um, yeah, like I said, that it's no accident that, you know, late teens are, are, 
are often narcissists sort of chosen victims. Um, so this has all been really bleak. Um, I, I mean, but it raises, I mean, first of all, it's, it's fascinating to me that, um, being selfless, lacking an ego can result in so much destruction. Um, but it's also, for me, it brings up a question of free will, um, which I find really, really interesting. Um, so again, free will is, is the function of a self, of an ego, um, one cannot choose without being a one, without being somebody. Um, so, and it's still not clear to me. And it's also really interesting to me that, you know, there's all these different narcissists um, who on the surface appear to be very, very different people and yet display staggeringly similar and specific behaviors, as I mentioned earlier, and it gets me thinking, like, to what extent do they actually have free will? I mean, if they're, they're really unable to review their own actions, um, and take ownership for them, and, and know what they're doing, I mean, doesn't make them more like viruses than people, and I, I, I hate to say that because, um, you know, I, I do think of them as people, not great ones, but people nonetheless. And, and yet, I, I wonder, I wonder about that. And, and to be honest, I don't have an answer. So if anyone wants to weigh in, free will is not a subject I understand all that well. Um, so if, if you want to clarify my thinking, I'd be really grateful to hear what you have to say. Um, so yeah, ping me however you wish, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Um, but it got me, so, you know, this relates to my book. I, um, you know, the, the genesis of the book was when I realized that, um, narcissists will never feel empathy. They'll never truly enjoy sex. They'll never, truly feel joy because again these are functions of an ego which they don't have and that's pretty bad um you know I I don't you know wish good th you know and the reason I did all this research is because I finally realized that I needed closure and indeed you know part of the reason I I've been in more than one emotionally abusive relationship because I didn't realize how important closure was to me. And I, I, I finally realized that, um, I, my motive, I, I knew, I knew I was getting into bad relationships every time, but my, my motivation was that, you know, if, if, if I was just good enough, I could inspire these bad people to, to change and to be good. Um, and that if I could just do that just once, it would redeem 
all the other bad relationship choices I had made. And when I said that out loud, I realized how stupid that sounds. I mean, you know, even if that did happen, which it never has, um, that, that doesn't give me back the years I spent in emotionally abusive relationships. Um, but it was only then that it occurred to me that how desperately I needed closure. Um, and indeed, you know, if you see people getting repeatedly into abusive relationships, that's why they're, they're, they're reliving their trauma to get some sort of closure. Um, the thing is, is that with, with narcissistic abuse, there really is no closure. It was never real. Not any of it. There was no reason why I particularly um, was selected for this abuse other than, you know, I, I, you know, was a particularly good source of attention. You know, I don't think it would have mattered particularly if I, if I'd been a mediocre sense of attention. As long as I was giving attention, that was all that was required. Um, and all, you know, none of it was real. It was just a means to an end. Um, and so the only closure I could really get was to try to understand this um, you know, this, this thing that, you know, I'd found myself in the crosshairs of more than once. Um, so when it occurred to me that, you know, like, I was like, well, how, what is the justice here? And when, you know, I realized that, you know, I, you know, th these people are are never going to feel my hurt. I mean, they do feel hurt on some level, I think. I think it is painful to feel discarded um, and unreal. Um, but, you know, it also occurred to me that, you know, the fact that they're never going to feel empathy is, is a pretty terrible fate. And that's probably pretty just. But then, of course, my my... The side of me that loves fiction and drama asked, well, what would be worse? And I thought, what if, what if an NPD could be made to feel empathy just long enough to regret the hurt they'd caused? And that's it. And that really was the genesis of my novella, which I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. It is called Unromantics. Um, and it also kind of takes a stab at that free will question. So, um, in this story, the, there, there is a narcissist and this narcissist trades brains with someone who is, um, psychologically typical. Um, so the narcissist has the opportunity to act and to process those actions and emotions through, um, a, you know, a normal brain, um, to, to feel what it's like to feel empathy. Um, and, you know, the question I ask with this is like, you know, does the fact that they're a narcissist with an atypical brain, um, preclude them from making 
you know, non-destructive choices or productive choices, um, does some, and vice versa, does the person who swapped brains with the narcissist who has, um, a psychologically typical brain, um, does that mean that they won't ever make a destructive decision? And, um, I will let you read the book when it comes out and you can, you know, so you will get my answer to that question. You can decide for yourself if it's compelling. Um, so after, after all of this, I promised a positive payout and that's how I'm going to conclude. So you will often hear people say that so-and-so should be more selfless. And when they say that, I don't think they realize that what they're prescribing is this destructive personality disorder that tends to predate people who've always already experienced a trauma. I mean, the people who are traumatized tend to be the most vulnerable to this personality disorder, um, or I should say to its, to its injuries, um, so yeah, when, when people say be more selfless, I don't think they're pres- they realize they're prescribing, you know, a personality disorder that hurts everyone who gets too close. Um, and interestingly, Covert claims to be an objectivist. I met Covert at Ocon, um, which I later found really baffling. I, I asked listener Brian... Um, you know, objectivism is about an independent ego, rational self-interest. What, what possible appeal could objectivism have for someone with no ego? Um, and indeed, I think if Covert had any self-awareness, Covert would see that their pathological quest for attention is entirely second-handed. So my positive message is that rational self-interest promotes empathy. First-handedness and independence protects you from the need for constant attention. Ego is good. I want to lead out with um, another song from the playlist I used while I was um, writing my novella on romantics. The song is called Thunder by Leona Lewis, and um, I thought it apropos to what I was writing. You know, if you listen to the lyrics, it, she she sings about how at first things were great, you know, kind of like the overvaluation stage, and then things kind of blew up, and um, she was really being repressed because she was talented, and she was sort of um, sort of relegated to. Um, the backstage because of this person, but ultimately asserted herself and her own talent. Um, and I really liked the, the, um, final triumph of the song. So, um, I hope you enjoy it. Um, like I said, thank you for listening as always, but particularly with this episode, cause it's been tough. Um, so yeah, thank you again. And Cheers to reason. First it was heaven, everything roses and fire. You 
an hour golden. I'm getting, and I woke up like a fighter, building up a legion. You were rising like a star, raining like a king, while I was waiting in the wind. Some have to have to wait with an empty 